Hey everyone, this is your host Frank Strong and I thought it was important to let you know that the interview you are about to hear was recorded before the coronavirus pandemic took off. Hopefully most of you will welcome the fact that this interview will have absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic, but I thought it was important that you have that context first. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Boots About Business. We have an absolutely amazing individual who's an army veteran and now a business leader. He has an incredible story of triumph over a severe injury he sustained during a deployment to Iraq. He's a graduate of West Point, the U.S. Army's Ranger and Airborne Schools. He once had a chance to smash a little piece of the Berlin Wall when that came down. And today he's the CEO of a company called Thundercat Technology. It's a systems integrator that primarily serves the federal government. They're based in Reston, Virginia. And best of all, he's with us right now to share his story. Welcome, Mr. Tom Deerline. Hey, thanks for having me. I think you left out one thing. You know, you and I were shoulder to shoulder over there in Iraq in 06, trying to get out there and make a difference. So thank you for your contributions and service at that time as well. Well, I, I mean, I learned so much from you. You were just as a dynamic as you are now back then. And that's one of the reasons why I think I wanted to have you on for this inaugural episode. And you do have an incredible story and we'll dive into that. So how about we get to it? And let me just ask you, what brought you to the army? Why did you join? Well, you know, my dad was a China Marine at the end of World War II, and my sister was a naval nurse, ROTC. But I wouldn't describe ourselves as a military family, but certainly a patriotic family, right? My dad, once a Marine, always a Marine. And then when I was 13 years old, my sister and brother-in-law took me up to a football game, and I saw the cadets marching, and I learned about the honor code and the academics. And at the time, I thought, oh, the bonus, the reward is that you get to go in the Army for five years. I didn't see it as the payback. So at 13, I decided I want to go to West Point. And it really did. It changed the rest of my life. You know, I went from being an A student to A plus student. I went from going to church to be involved in my church. I went from being a member of my community to doing community service. So in ways that I didn't realize at the time, it caused me to be a whole person. And I did. I got in. And you and I've chatted before, you accomplished a few things in the Army in that initial deployment. One of the things you talk about is the perseverance it took to get through some Army training. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, again, I got into West Point. And again, at 13, I was like, I just want to go to West Point. That was my goal. And I reached it. And then when I got into West Point, I'm like, I want to be infantry. I want to be airborne. And I want to be a ranger. But unfortunately, I got arrested my freshman year, my plebe year, I got arrested. So I, I almost got kicked out. And in fact, I had to go see the three-star general in charge of the place called the superintendent of the United States Military Academy. And while he gave me severe punishment that was designed to make me quit, he gave me that second chance and I didn't quit and I did make it through. In terms of ranger school, like, so let's go back to West Point. When I showed up, I was 6'2", 127 pounds. I could do 15 push-ups. <laughs> it was brutal, Right. And there were plenty of people that tried to get me to quit and singled me out because I was this tall, awkward, ugly, weak link that people were trying to remove from the chain, if you will. But I just stuck with it. So then I graduated. I did get infantry and I did go to airborne school. I failed the push-ups. Shock. And so then I spent a week in what they call the gulag and then I had to go back. I guess it was at that point, 90 days later was the next slot that was available. And then I failed in the Florida swamps. 
Now, the way that Ranger School works, you're allowed to fail any task once, like land navigation, like whatever it might be. But if you fail the same task twice, you're out. So I failed Florida, and then I went back to Florida, and then I finally graduated as a Ranger in the summer of 90. You know, you hear about these guys who do LOM, lack of motivation, or they quit. And I don't, I got to be honest, I don't understand that because West Point, I'm going to graduate. Ranger school, I'm going to get my black and gold tab. I just, I was willing to do whatever it took and I had that mentality. And now I know what that's called. It's called grit. Early failures in life is what led me to have that characteristic. Obviously, it was driven into me by my parents to be resilient, but those two crucible events certainly caused me to, I think, become more gritty. Yeah. That's fantastic. Let me ask you, I didn't know you got arrested at West Point. What did you get arrested for? Trunk and disorderly and possession of an illegal weapon. I had a switchblade in my pocket. Yeah, a bunch of my high school buddies and I, right? So you're trapped in that place for six months, right? I reported July 1st. And then on Christmas break, I just went berserk on a ski trip, got a little drunk with a couple friends of mine. and But eventually the charges got dropped. But by that point, the military had been notified. West Point had been notified. I had to write reports. And I was. I was found guilty of conduct on becoming an officer and a gentleman. That really is UCMJ. That is a clause in UCMJ. And conduct bringing discredit upon the Corps cadets in the United States Military Academy. So it didn't matter that the charges were dropped. I was found guilty and therefore was scheduled to be what's called separated or in layman's terms, kicked out. But when I saw the general, I had gotten some letters of recommendation from my classmates, from classmen, from professors and others And he was willing to believe that it was uncharacteristic. And he gave me a second chance. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Yeah, I can imagine. Take us through what you did. And once you graduated from all of your training and got put into the regular army to serve your time and then bring us back home and how and where you made your transition to the business world. So again, at 13, I knew I wanted to go to West Point, go in the army for five years and then be a successful businessman. I didn't know what that was, right? I grew up in New York. My dad got on the train in the morning. He came back home and there was macaroni and cheese on the plate. So I chose Berlin Brigade. So infantry, airborne, ranger, and then on to the Berlin Brigade. But while I was in training, the wall came down, right? The wall came down in November of 89, as you recall. And I'm like, wow, I'm kicked out of ranger school and I'm out of a job. (laughs) But I did go back to ranger school and it turned out my job wasn't quite over yet. And so I spent three years in the Berlin Brigade doing classic assignments, a platoon leader, a mortar platoon leader, and then a, an assistant operations officer up at the battalion level. But it was, and it was great. But then it became time for me to get out. I had knocked out a master's part-time overseas at USC. So fight on. And then I got out. And at the time, Johnson & Johnson was the most admired company in America. And I figured... Every company exists to sell a product or service, so I might as well start my career in sales. So I went to work at a company called Ethicon Endosurgery, selling minimally invasive surgical instruments, laparoscopy, endoscopy, stapling devices, etc. Did that for about a year and a half. Got a call from a headhunter, said, you want to sell software? I was like, no. He's like, well, it's mechanical engineering software, and you have a mechanical engineering degree. I was like, oh, hell no. (laughs) He says, well, it pays this. I said, oh, where do I fax my resume? So four weeks later, I was working at a company called Parametric Technology Corporation. And that's really where I cut my sales teeth. I mean, at J&J, I was too polite. I don't think I was a closer. 
at Parametric, it was a bit of a boiler room. Like you either closed, got to your number, or you were fired. It was a no-joke place. But at the same time, the product was twice as good as the nearest competitor. So I look back now fondly on those times. A friend of mine that I met at Parametric got involved in an internet company. We didn't call it the dot-com back then. He's like, oh, I got this cool company. You always said you want to work at a small company. You always said you want to live in New York. Well, I'll give you everything east of the Mississippi. So three weeks later, there I was working at a company called Net Gravity, one of the original companies building the infrastructure of what we now know as the web, doing ad-serving products. Knocked out my MBA at NYU, again, part-time and on weekends. Got involved in a pure startup called Dynamic Logic, where I was employee number seven. That did advertising effectiveness research using online surveys. And then we sold that company to WPP, one of the largest marketing services companies in the world. So now it's been 12 years for your audience, like, right? So I left the army in 1993. I got out of the Berlin Brigade, became a civilian. I just described a 12-year civilian career that ended with the chief operating officer at a successful company that was acquired by a major marketing firm. Yeah, I remember chit-chatting with you about that a little bit, which kind of brings us to how you and I met. Yes, when I got out of the military, I went into something called the Individual Ready Reserve. So I wasn't in the National Guard. I wasn't a reservist. I didn't put on a uniform or drill on the weekends or two weeks in the summer. I was on my couch as an individual, ready, and in the reserves. But in 2005, there was a lot of things going on. You had rotated in a lot of active duty units. You had rotated in a lot of reserve units. What they really needed people for was all the non-kinetic things, the reconstruction, the governance, the economic development, helping to build up the capacity and capability of the Iraqi government and their citizens. So they started calling people out of this IRR, Individual Ready Reserve, and I was one of them. I thought they made a mistake because obviously I had been out for 12 years, but eventually I answered the call and that's when you and I met. Yeah, this was the so-called surge, if you will. Right. So you and I go in, right? And we train up for six months at Fort Jackson and Fort Bragg. We all go to our special operations units, but civil affairs, right? We weren't kicking down doors and chasing bad guys. And it was, it was an interesting time. Like I was an executive coach for the newly elected mayor of Sadr City. We were doing microloans for people to start businesses. We were trying to restore essential services. Like they had two hours of electricity, no running water. and You know, when it's all said and done, I really felt like we were making a difference. I really felt like we were getting there. But there were still plenty of bad guys that were engaged in guerrilla tactics trying to prevent progress. Well, that was kind of our ticket out of there, right? If we can teach the new Iraqi government, particularly since we kind of cut the head off the snake with debathification, anybody that was anybody was part of the bath party and then they weren't allowed to work. If we could help this new breed of leaders stand up their country, that would be our ticket home. Yeah. And again, without getting into all the ins and outs, I mean, yeah. So in the summer of 2006, I was part of Operation Together Forward 2, trying to re-secure Baghdad. And it was the failure of that operation that led to Petraeus going in front of Congress that fall and calling for the surge of troops to re-stabilize the country. Yeah. So you're there in Baghdad one morning, you go out on patrol, you're doing your thing. And this is where things take an interesting twist for you. Yeah, I, I like to joke with folks. I'm like, you know, everyone talks about combat and they, there's not so bad. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There was that one bad day. 
So in, in September of 2006, somebody had been shooting at some of my contractors that I had paid to do some cleanup and clearing sewage lines. And so we went out there to A, protect them and B, gather some intelligence. And But by the time we got out there, anyone that had been shooting at these folks had scattered out. And so had the contractors, right? They're not going to stick around to get to die for a couple dollars a day. And while we were there and we were folding in security, boom, I heard a loud explosion and I went flying backward. And at first I thought I had triggered a roadside bomb, but it turned out I had been shot by a sniper. My team, Drew Corbin, who you know as a firefighter in Austin, saved my life. And so did that whole crew. And they got me out of there. They got me to a helicopter LZ landing zone. And I was under the knife within an hour, the golden hour. But yeah, I was given an emergency blood coagulant called Factor 7. I'm Catholic, so a priest gave me last rites. It was pretty tough. But, you know, then I spent eight months at uh, Walter Reed and at the James A. Haley VA Spinal Cord Polytrauma Center. The, uh, yeah, the round came in over my iliac crest, shattered my pelvis and the base of my spine. Yeah. You've got sort of a perspective about the day that you got shot. You were telling me a little joke. Not a joke, not to make like it, light of it earlier, but you have sort of this humor about it, looking back on things. How did it unfold? Well, so, you know, again, I mentioned Drew Corbin. So when I first got shot, I went flying backward because I heard an explosion and I landed on my back. But the last thing that I had seen was my boots on the ground and they weren't coming with me. So I really thought I had triggered a roadside bomb that had cut me in half. And I was afraid to look down because I just figured, okay, I'm going to bleed out. And I just remember staring up in the air and I was so mad. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm going to die here on this street. You know, my life didn't flash before my eyes. Whoever says that, I don't know. But like, I was just laying there mad at myself and mad at my fate. And all of a sudden I hear Drew calling out to me from afar. He's like, Tom, Tom, can you walk at all? Well, that was the greatest question I'd ever heard because if I were in two pieces, <laughs> he wasn't going to ask if I could walk. So I looked down and I was excited. And now people start to yell, sniper, sniper, sniper. So I'm kind of aware of what's going on. And you want to obscure the area, right? So the people can come in and the sniper doesn't shoot the person trying to save you. So I go, hold on, hold on, let me pop smoke. And Drew calls out, no, no. But I throw this smoke grenade to obscure the area. They get me out of there and got me to safety. Well, at least that's my version of events. When Drew heard me telling the story, he goes, you idiot. I wasn't calling out to you. I was already kneeling next to you. I'm trying to save your life, and you threw smoke in my face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sort of like if you've seen that Tom Hanks movie, Saving Private Ryan on the beach, like the fog of war, if you will. Like, I just, you know, there was a lot going on, a lot of My thoughts of what was the reality in the ground was a little different, and you sort of float in and out of clarity, I'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. You're telling the story. I was thinking that's a tribute to the muscle memory, perhaps, that the military invokes in training, that your instinctive response, despite all of the trauma you were experiencing that moment, your instinct was to reach for that smoke, pull it so that you could obscure the view of whoever was shooting at you. Yeah. And you don't have to be a soldier to see it. Like if you've seen any of the war movies where there's a sniper involved, what happens? Somebody gets shot. The second person goes to save them. They shoot them. The third, like you got to obscure the area. So, yeah. You get to the hospital. You're back stateside. They've stabilized you. And what do the doctors tell you? What is your outlook? Well, I mean, they never want to say you are going to do this. You are not going to do that because they don't want to be held to a commitment. And, and that way, they're a little bit like a lawyer, right? I want to stay exact. So 
they didn't say it to my face, but they told my family, like, he may never walk again. Because again, my left leg for the first two weeks didn't move at all. Because again, the sacrum, that triangle at the base of your spine had been shattered. But at the two-week mark, my left toe moved, then a couple toes moved, then I could articulate my foot. And like it was. And then over the course of the next three months, I slowly but surely got as much function as I could. And I stood up for the first time three months later, or two and a half months later, I stood up for the first time. And then I had to use different ambulatory devices. And I learned to walk again. And then eventually I moved to a cane. And then eventually I got rid of the cane. And 18 months later, I ran the Army 10-miler. You know, I got shot in September of 06. And in October of 08, I ran the Army 10-miler after being told I may never walk again. I'm really proud of that. That's amazing. And you had the compassion after all of that. And you started a charity, the TD Foundation. So when I was on the ground, just like you, right, one of the missions of civil affairs, again, you're not kicking down doors and chasing bad guys. You're helping the civilians, hence civil affairs, the non-combatants. And in my area, at least, humanitarian aid was still significantly in demand. So in addition to requesting resources from the military, I was also writing emails back home to all my industry friends and family and friends. And I started to request soccer balls and beanie babies and children's vitamins and clothes and shoes and toys. And we would go out and we would give these things out while we were on our assessment missions and going and checking out reconstruction projects. We would stop and give those out. So once I ended up getting shot, some friends of mine back in New York City started this movement and they raised 36,000 bucks to continue to provide humanitarian aid to these children in Iraq, these innocent children who were being impacted by war. And all the checks that were done during this fundraiser were all made out to Tom Deerline Foundation. So I was like, okay. So I opened up a bank account under Tom Deerline Foundation and that's how it was born. And so for the first five years, we were mostly helping kids in Iraq and Afghanistan in the war torn. But as we scaled back, we started to pivot our mission here to the United States. So today, the TD Foundation is still 100% volunteer. And we provide aid to the children of wounded warriors and Gold Star families, also fallen heroes. We basically are helping American families that are in crisis. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And if people want to know where that charity is, where can they find you? We'll put a link in the show notes for you. TDFoundation.org. TD as in touchdown, foundation.org. All right, let's bring this to kind of the business side. I want to ask you, just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today in your current role, how that company formed. And then I want to dive into you know, some of the things you think your experiences in the military taught you that have facilitated your business career. Yeah, so Thundercat Technology, I'm currently a co-founder and CEO of Thundercat. My call sign in Baghdad was Thundercat 6. So hence the name Thundercat Technology. We're a VAR, evaluated reseller, or what some people call a systems integrator or solution provider. And we sell technology in and around the data center. So think about data storage, cyber, networking, cloud transformations. We've mostly focused on selling to the US government. And in fact, about 95% of our business is to the federal agencies. But over the past couple of years, we've also launched uh, state and local, and we are now trying to sell to commercial clients as well, Fortune 500, small and medium enterprises in the Mid-Atlantic. 
you've got a nice way of kind of conveying what you've learned in the military and how that's been applied to business. Like you almost did it in two stages, right? Going to West Point, doing a tour as active duty, getting out, having a 12 year business career and boom, going back, being shot and then kind of getting back into business again. What has the military taught you that you've been able to apply to business? Well, I think the first thing, and as cliche as it sounds, is leadership, right? Like I wasn't a natural born leader and I don't believe people are natural born leaders. And I think men, women, older folks, younger folks, anyone can develop good leadership skills, people that are outgoing or people that are introverts. So the army certainly bought to me and gave me the opportunity to be a leader. And I think the military does that with everybody. You know, if there's privates raking leaves, one of them's charge of raking leaves. If two privates are taking the garbage out, one of them's in charge of the garbage detail. So from a very early point in your military career, you're constantly being given these opportunities to manage and lead others. In fact, there's 11 principles that were developed by the U.S. Army in 1948 that are still taught today. And if you bear with me, I'll read them here. Know yourself and seek self-improvement. Be tactically and technically proficient. Seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. Set the example. Know your people and look out for their welfare. Keep your people informed. Ensure the task is understood, supervised, and accomplished. Develop a sense of responsibility among your people. Train your people as a team. Make sound and timely decisions. And employ your work unit in accordance with its capabilities. So again, leadership certainly would be number one for me. The second one we've already sort of talked about, which is grit. And grit is this characteristic that was studied to look at uber successful people. And if you've looked at any of the work by Dr. Angela Duckworth, it's more than IQ. It's more than EQ. It's more than your background. It's more than your gender. It's it's more than any other factor. This ability to be resilient and persistent is the number one factor in determining who is successful and who is not. And I guess the third thing is flexibility and adaptability. And when people hear me say, what do you mean the military? Hollywood didn't do us any favors, right? It's always the general giving orders to a private. Like, that's not happening, right? Like, and if you think about us being placed in all these crazy environments on a moment's notice and being asked to deal with real conditions, right? Yeah, we have a hierarchy and a chain of command, but it's funny. I had an opportunity to win an award, the Entrepreneur of the Year Award in Greater Washington or some other award. And I was being interviewed and they're like, Tom, Tom, how are you so successful? I said, well, in the military, I was taught to adapt, improvise, overcome. And I thought I was pretty clever for coming up with that. Well, then three or four minutes after me, there was another military veteran who had won an award that night and they were interviewing her. And she's like, well, I learned in the military, adapt, improvise, overcome. And I had to laugh because again, in the Air Force, the Marines, the Navy, the Army, we all know that if there's a mission and things start to go sideways, or you don't have the resources, or the bullets start flying, you still have to accomplish that mission. And you do whatever you have to to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So those are the three. Leadership, the grit or resilience and adaptability, and the flexibility. And I mean, it's pretty clear you have those characteristics. West Point graduate, Ranger, called back, Purple Heart, recipients, Bronze Star winner. What about the veterans that aren't all of those things? Do you think they still have those characteristics? Absolutely. And I had recently been talking to a group of folks, and I do talk to veterans periodically, and I say, you know what? 
It doesn't matter whether you're special operations or logistics. It doesn't matter if you had five combat tours or none. Think about the military. From boot camp to every assignment, you're always given the chance to lead, right? You're always being put in these unartificial conditions and they try and make you fail. And they look for the people that will be resilient. And they always are putting you in these situations to reinforce those things, reinforce the grit, reinforce the flexibility, reinforce the leadership. And I guess it's worth noting values as well. And you know that I've talked about that. And I think plenty of thousands of books written about leadership, right? Thousands of books written about marketing. But like to me, leadership comes down to character and values, caring for people and the willingness to make decisions and be held accountable. And of course, there's a fourth result, because if not, the other don't matter. So I think I would be remiss if I didn't think that the military develops in you a set of values and character that each and every veteran brings to their business career. We'll bring this to a close. I guess I'll ask you one last thing. So as a business owner today, you're in a position to make hires. Given all of the experience that you have, what do you think businesses are overlooking when it comes to veterans and how they could really add value to their team? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Yeah, because again, I think it does go back to that flexibility, right? I think that there are certain aspects to it, right? And always when people say discipline, that has a negative connotation in our society. But if we say self-discipline, it has a positive connotation. These folks are 24-7 mission-oriented, and I think people discount that. They have the self-discipline, they have the focus, and they have the 24-7 work ethic. At 501, they're not like, well, I'd like to finish this project, but I got to go home. They know what it means to be committed. I think the leadership thing gets discounted, and I think the values get discounted. I guess the last thing, or two other things, would they're skilled project managers throughout your military career. Again, combat, non-combat, any branch, any service, you're going to be given projects to execute on. And so they are very skilled project managers. And then training. When you're not in combat, you are constantly training to be ready for combat. So military folks are skilled trainers. So those are a few of the things that I think that civilian employers overlook or discount. I think they're real. I think they're tangible. Some of them are softer skills, but I think those are really concrete things that every veteran brings on day one. Yeah, I think that's fantastic insight. Tom, if people wanted to find you, if they want to find your company, Thundercat, where can they find you online? I have a presence on a lot of social media, but if somebody wanted to reach out on LinkedIn, it's just Tom Deerline, D-E-I-E-R-L-E-I-N. In terms of Thundercat technology, we're at thundercattech.com. Thundercattech.com. No dash, no underscore, just thundercattech.com. All right, we'll be sure to put those in the notes. Tom, you have an absolutely incredible story. You are such an inspiration. And I really appreciate you coming on and being the guinea pig for the inaugural episode. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I really appreciate your time. I'm a bit of a chatty Kathy. I'm sorry we went so far over time. Thanks again, Frank. 